Welcome to the Five Heart Podcast. You know, if it's my voice starting this damn thing, that it probably isn't going to be good. Joining me is Haas, Doctor Offense Reuter, and we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the 2022 Nebraska football defense. Yeah, we're you want to get up a little bit? I, did you want me to? Uh, did you want me to do witty banner? Or should we just go right, right into this? Uh, I mean, you already gave me enough problems about how my laptop that I was previously <laughs> using looked like I was in prison. <laughs> you know, it was pretty poor quality. It was a $500 Asus laptop that I bought the last time Nebraska was in a bowl game. So it did its job getting me through undergrad and grad school. The day I submitted my last grad school assignment, the H key on the keyboard decided to fall <laughs> off. So it go it's go time, rest. It's time for a new one. Yep. Need to get one of these nice Macs like I'm using right now. Okay, defense. Here, here's where we're going to start with. Um, you know, when guy people talk about offense, right? They talk about what about a, any offensive coordinator, any head coach, if he's an offensive guy. They, they talk about what I fancy kind of likes to run, and they talk about all sorts of, you know, does he run more, does he pass? They talk a lot about tendencies. Nobody does that with the defense. Nobody does, and I think it's one of those things where the even if you're just the common football fan, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense at all, you know, being Dr. Offense. I'm not trying to be Mr. Ivory Tower over here, but – most common football fans, they look at an offense, they can see, oh, you know, like Wisconsin, they're lining up in the eye, the offset eye, ace formations, they're running power, they're running zone. You know, they, it's very easy to identify those things. Defense is complex. Um, even through years of watching film and breaking down plays, like when I'm watching something on defense, I have to rewind it probably 20, 25 times just on one play to really get a feel for – this defense, this three technique fit into this gap, but was he doing that in response to his read, you know, his key read, the offensive guard, or was he doing that just because that's where, you know, we're, they're running a stunt in that direction. So defense is complicated and getting into coverages. That's like, you know, there's calculus that most people tap out, you know, in math classes, you know, at <laughs> right. calculus. Coverages nowadays in modern college football and the NFL, that's like getting a master's degree in advanced maths. It's like being a mathematician. Uh, Nick Saban's defensive coverage playbooks, they barely make sense to me. Uh, complicated. And when so when there's a busting coverage, like a good example, everybody blames Matt O'Hanlon for the busting coverage against Virginia Tech in 09. It was Anthony West's fault. It was cover two. But – like, it's easy just to look at Matt O'Hanlon and go, oh, he's behind the receiver. That's the one that got beat. You know, so right. defense is complicated. Like, remember that commercial back in the Polini era, Big Ten Network, where they're drawing up the plays and he writes football's complicated then erases it? I mean, I was no fan of Bo, but he had that one right. Okay, there's a lot of obvious history questions in here, but I'm going to ask you about Eric Chenander. All right. And when I say tendencies – uh, here, here's what I think about Eric Chenander. I just, I think as a coach, we also talk about how, well, on defense, we talk about how you have to give something up and you have to mm-hmm. kind of put an emphasis on something else. Uh, Eric Chenander seems to me, 
like a guy who doesn't want to give up the explosive play ever. And he, he is perfectly okay with giving up three, four yards of carry, but the explosive play is like a plague or kryptonite to him. Respond yeah. to that. I would say that you're spot on. Um, nobody wants to get beat over the top, especially in today's game. So if you're going to make some – if somebody's going to score on you, it's the every, – for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Was that one of Newton's laws? I don't know. I was never a physics guy. But there, there's always an equal and opposite reaction. So if you're not going to want to get beat deep by an explosive chunk play, if that other team's going to score, you're going to make them drive the ball 80 yards between the 20s given up and you you're okay with giving up three to four yards of carry because the longer you have them out there on the field, the more chances that the offense is going to do something to screw up a missed block, uh, you know, a miscommunication, uh, you know, somebody didn't get the audible at the line of scrimmage or adjust their route on a site adjustment based on coverage. So you're playing a numbers game at that point, the offense they're going to get they're going to find themselves in trouble at some point and then if they do get to the red zone they do march between the 20s suddenly you're in a compressed field and you can start teeing off on the run a little bit and you can start playing tight, some tighter man coverage to the point where you're not terrified of getting beat deep over the top okay just during the transfer portal mm-hmm. Basically, what happened with, since last season? I mean, we lost our entire, we lost our defensive line coach. We lost our entire defensive line. Basically, uh-huh. we didn't really get a lot of transfers. But yet, for defensive backs, how many transfer portal people did we get? We got at least like five. Well, you got Tommy Hill from Arizona State, and I'm just going off the top of my head, so I'm kind of wading into some murky territory here. That kid from Arizona State, Omar Brown from Northern Iowa. And then I want to say, well, there's Tyreek Johnson from Ohio State last year, the former five-star DB. And then I want to say there's another one, a Jaden. That, yeah. that name seems to ring a bell. And, I mean, we're, we're digging deep in the transfer portal because with DBs because DBs, they're, you know, not to sound cliche, but they're cheaper by the dozen than – defensive tackles and defensive ends like what we talked about in the slack chat room earlier this week it's the bill parcells big person theory um that originated back in the 80s when bill parcells was asked why guys like lawrence taylor were paid such big money they had these ridiculous contracts and he said basically hey there's only so many people walking the earth right now that can do what he does he's a rare commodity he deserves to be compensated in kind for it same thing with big nose guards there's only a select handful of people on the planet who are built like jordan davis from georgia who you know with the philadelphia eagles who yes he dominated cam jurgens in that drill on twitter but there's a lot that i can go into that other that nfl offensive linemen and offensive line coaches have talked about on twitter it's not all jurgens fault but guys like jordan davis they're rare they're hard to find that's like you know, would you rather go mine for some common mineral that you can make decent money with, you know, as opposed to mining for gold or diamonds or, you know, some rare earth mineral? So, so simple supply and demand economics. 
So you don't think this was a emphasis thing that I'm, I am reading this wrong then. I, I he think just, he just did, couldn't get the guys. I, I think that's, I think that you're on the right track with that. You know, we did get like Stefan Wynn from Alabama and Devin Drew from Texas Tech and Oshawn Mathis from TCU. So we added some nice additions there, but you're always going to be able to recruit DBs easier than big time defensive linemen. I mean, ask Bo Pelini. Like we talked about in the past few weeks, he didn't cash in on Sue's success. He should have been going out and getting the big time defensive tackles in that era. And instead, we get saddled with guys like Thad Randall, which they're serviceable, but they weren't, you know, game wreckers. You know, they weren't, you know, they didn't dominate a game. But DBs, it's a little bit easier to develop that because you got good speed and, you know, can take to the coaching that DB coaches, you know, often implement with, you know, like Saban doesn't teach the back pedal. He wants his DBs to turn and run. It's an easier, it's an easier position to learn. Really? Yeah. Much I just thought, I just defensive thought line might be the hardest position outside of quarterback in football. I always had this. It's just he's just a big dumb guy that stands there and waves his arms around. Come on. It took, it took <laughs> me like uh, years ago, probably back in like 2017. I found a copy and I uh, there's a college football black market for playbooks and all 22 film that I'm a, I was a proud member of a Patreon for. And um, I found a copy of Brent Venable's 2017 Clemson defense, his playbook, after they beat Alabama for the national title in 16. And I sat all the time trying to learn everything in that playbook. And there'd be times where I'm like, I thought I understood football, but what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> it's it's high-level stuff, you know. You're talking about defensive lineman aligns in a four-eye on the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle. That's his physical key. So if he moves, he moves with him. But his eyes are on the offensive guard to the inside. So if he moves towards him, he's got to split that gap. Or he's got to bump over and play the offensive tackle 100%. But if that offensive guard moves away from him, now he's got to engage the offensive tackle and still try to fill that B gap back to his inside. And um, that's some of the stuff you'll get when you watch like all 22 film where you're thinking like, all the, even these defensive linemen, they're going through all these different checks and keys right at the line of scrimmage. I just, wow. I, I thought it was like in NCAA football 2016. Or, <laughs> or you just pinch the defensive line. Shift yeah, you just, uh, just stand there, do yeah. something. You know, like the passing. Back, back in, not to be the back in the day guy, but when I played eighth grade football in the year of our Lord 2004, I played nose guard. My, one of my best friends to this day, he played middle linebacker. His job, if he was going to blitz into one of the A-gaps, he'd just come up to me, slap me on the butt on which side he was going to blitz to, you know. So he slapped me on the left, I'd go right. If he slapped me on the right, I'd go left, you know. I thought that was confusing back then. <laughs> so I can't imagine what these guys feel like now against modern offenses. Okay, so what do you what do you think about the 2022 Nebraska defense? Well, I think I mean, we're going to – I think we're going to see some schematic shifts. Um, I think you're going to see us playing more four down with the defensive line. And a lot of that is caused by the three teams in our division that have given us the most problems, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa. You know, like right. we've talked about many times in the past few weeks, Minnesota's going to run duo right down your throat 35 times a game. Wisconsin's going to run everything under the sun against you. 
Iowa's going to run inside and outside zone, and you better be able to get to the outside shoulder of the offensive lineman that's engaging you, or else you're in for a long day. So I think if we can eliminate more gaps by just alignment, by having four down before the snap, four defensive okay. linemen before the snap, or even it could be three defensive linemen and a linebacker mugged up to the line of scrimmage, whether he's in a two-point or a one-point stance, you know, two-point stance or three-point stance with his hands on the ground, doesn't matter. I think that you're going to see us try to eliminate as many pre-snap uh, holes as possible. Now, okay, are they going to be able to run a f- well against those three teams you named, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin? I mean, they're going to have to run four down, right? Yeah, because and, and and go ahead. Do we have the depth to do that? That's toward the end of the season. Well, that that's a really good point that I didn't even think of because you're looking at after Halloween, you're looking at Minnesota, Michigan. And Michigan's got to run power and inside zone and counter right. fucking times a game. Um, and then Wisconsin and Iowa. So you go, you're, you hope you're healthy. That's, that's the first key. You hope you have enough bodies to rotate guys in and out. You hope that you're not getting to a point where you're playing Garrett Nelson at three technique. Like we had to play Cam Meredith at that spot in 2012 because of injuries, because as good of a player as Nelson is 260 pound defensive tackles. They're not long for, you know, this league. So you hope that you have the depth. And you really got to think, like, do you put Ty Robinson at the shade or one technique over the center? Or do you put him at the three technique out on the strong side offensive guard, you know, in a four-man front? So that's kind of one of those issues where where does he fit in? Because he's stout enough to stand up against the center and the double teams he's going to see from the center and the guard. But he's athletic enough to get into that three-tech spot and wreak some havoc like Sue. Sue played the three-tech spot under Pelini's defense. Well, Ty Robinson, who else is going to be on the inside? Stefan Wynn, the new guy from Alabama? I would say Stefan Wynn or Stefan Wynn, however it's pronounced. Um, you hope that Nash Hutmacher, or Hutmaker as I believe, he corrected. I just him. call him yeah. Nutmasher because, you yeah. know, that's hopefully what I think. I what That's what I want out of him. I, I, you know, Especially I re- when we play Iowa. I recently rejoined the Red Sea Scrolls, and for the first time I saw where my brother-in-law got that nickname for Nash. You know, I was like, oh, that's where he got it from. He didn't make it up, <laughs> you know. By the way, if anyone's wondering on Red Sea Scrolls, my handle is John Sacramoni, guy from The Sopranos. Johnny Sacks, my favorite character in The Sopranos. Okay. So, yeah, say hi. I don't post much. I just read. Um, but um, you hope that's Hutmaker can translate that weight room strength into football functional strength, functional mobility, because, I mean, the guy's got serious weight room strength. I mean, you don't squat 800 pounds without being pretty damn athletic and twitchy, fast twitch, muscle explosion. But how that, you know, Olympic weightlifters aren't great football players. So I'd be curious to see how he finally gets to be on the field in extended playing time. That the defensive end spot, it's one of those things where it's like, can Caleb Tanner and O'Shawn Mathis and Garrett Nelson, can they play that edge position, as we're calling it now, and can they stand up to the down blocks and the stretch blocks and the double teams and the, you know, the traps from the pulling guards? Can they stand up to those 20, 25 times a game against the three teams in our division that give us the most yeah. problems? 
because Randy Gregory, as great of a player as he was, as a probably the be- one of the best pure pass rushers I've ever seen at the college level, like watching a lion hunt down a zebra, he could not stand up against the run. And yeah. teams knew that. So Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa in 13 and 14, they would just double him at the point of attack or down block him or kick him out. And at 6'6 and what, 215 when he was playing here, he couldn't stand up to it. Right. Even guys who are 260 in a grown man's league like the Big Ten, they're going to have problems standing up to it too. So you want to have some, you want to set some hard edges. Um, you want to have guys like aligned on the inside shoulder of the tight end and a linebacker up on the outside shoulder. So with that numbers game, eliminating as many gaps and holes as possible pre-snap, you're forcing single blocks. So nobody gets a double team. You're just forcing, you know, them to take you mano y mano and best athlete wins. So there are a lot of things to consider with, you know, a slight schematic shift. I don't think anything will change coverage wise too much, especially because I think we'll be more in like a four, two, five with a Sam nickel, that Jojo Doman type player as the nickel back, you know, because I mean the big nickel in college and pro football is, in vogue right now. I mean, you see it everywhere and it kind of arose from the, remember the big slot receiver era in like 15, 2015, 2016, when Corey Coleman was at Baylor, that's where it kind of came about. And so coverage shouldn't change, but you got to be really wonder where, what we're going to look like personnel wise. And that kind of gets into another thing I was going to say about Chenander's defense. Dude does not like to blitz. I yeah, mean, what like, is what is with that? I, I've been wondering that same thing since 2018. Um, when we got torched by Peyton Ramsey at Indiana in 2019, I mean, they were ripe for a zone blitz again with the screens and crossers they were running. We never ran one. Chenander strikes me a lot like Mike Hankowitz from Northwestern. He's going to play solid, fundamental defense. He's okay. going to dish out a few exotic play calls every once in a while. Like Hankwitz was really good with the cowboy or cat cornerback blitz from the boundary, but all in all, they're just going to keep everything in front of them, not get beat deep. Like we've discussed already and just try to tackle you to the ground. Yeah. And so do you, do you, do you see uh, this defense? I mean, everybody can play. We lost Cam Taylor, Britt, Jojo Doman, you know, a number of players, uh, people worried about this defense 2022 being able to be as good as the last one was and replace all those guys that went to the NFL or just left. What do you see? Do you think they're going to be, be able to keep up with the big 10 West? Because we kind of need to do that. <laughs> I, I think we'll be able to, I, and a lot of it, a lot of that optimism comes from the fact that we're finally mature in this program for the first three years under frost, you know, we were one of the youngest teams in the conference in the country. And you've always heard it referenced that the big 10 is a grown man's league. You know, you're, you're playing against guys who are 22, 23 years old now with COVID and the exemption, you might be playing against a few guys who are 24 and 25 years old, you know, depending on how their eligibility went. And so I think that we can be as effective as last year. I think that will generate a better overall pass rush with our front four. And anytime you can generate a pass rush with your front four and drop seven into coverage, 
you're playing with house money at that. Right, right. You're, you're able to get pressure on the quarterback. You're able to blanket the field and coverage. It's like, you know, the Sioux, you know, defense in 2009. Down the stretch, we rarely blitz. We just got pressure with our front four and we're able that's to right. defend the run from dime and nickel and just blanket the field and coverage. And so that's every defensive coordinate. That's number one on every defensive coordinator's wish list. They ask for that for Christmas. Hey, can I get pressure with four and drop seven into coverage? So if we can do that, I think that we'll be in good shape. Now, the, I think the run defense last year, while it was effective, it broke down at the end of the season. I mean, anybody yeah. who watched the Wisconsin or Iowa games will say that. And Minnesota, you know, their freshman back who was playing because Ibrahim's injury, he torched us pretty good. And so what we really have to do is do a better job of getting off our blocks, uh, playing sound fundamental football. And uh, if we can do those things, I think that'll give us an opportunity to still be strong in the back end, not getting beat deep, maybe play a little bit more man coverage between the 20s. Um, I really like the personnel at safety with like Miles Farmer. Uh, I think he's a rangy safety. It's a shame that he had that injury at the end of 2020 because of Purdue's shoddy field. Um, which that seems to be a common occurrence in this damn conference. This conference is like the twilight zone, man. Um, Why do you say that? Well, like just weird stuff happens in this conference, like Northwestern getting in dogfights with everybody and DeMornay Pearsonell shredding his ACL on a sprinkler head at Purdue and Miles Farmer getting hurt at Purdue. And then I've just kind of noticed it over the years. Halloween weekend or the week after Halloween in this conference, you see some weird ass upsets. It's it's honest to God, like, well, yeah. I mean, when you look back at the Big Ten, the Big Ten history, all the hate and all the st- oh. just asinine things that went on or happened or occurred that, that created all that hate. And we wonder why the conference hates everybody else. And uh you know, and we're starting to experience – well, we've been experiencing it, but oh, yeah. you know, some of it's just weird. You're right. It is just I, – I was talking to a coworker of mine last week. We were talking college football, and I told him, I was like, hey, man, before we joined the conference, the Big Ten, I used to make fun of the Big Ten all the time, how obsessed yeah. they were with the Rose Bowl, how, you know, teams from the Big 12 would dominate them. Then we joined this league, and I realized this league's a meat grinder. Everybody's got good offensive linemen, good defensive linemen, good linebackers. They're going to run the ball right down your throat, you know, as much as they can. Like it's a tough, it's a rugged league. And I think not to, you know, the SEC is still better in terms of its top caliber teams, but it's top heavy. So the big 10, I think is a better overall conference because we cannibalize each other in this conference, top to bottom. Everybody, you know, everybody just beats up on one another. We've kind of gotten beat up more than we've been dishing out some beatings, but um, true. The point remains: it's it's a rough it's a rough and rugged league. <sighs> Where else do we want to go from here? What else do you have to say about the defense? Well, I'd be I'll be really curious to see how well like Luke Reimers and Nick Henrich stand up to defending the run this conference because like I mentioned at the end of last year our run defense kind of broke down you started to see a lot of times like against Wisconsin Nick Henrich getting hooked by a pulling guard or 
tight end would go to down block him and just pick him off from being able to get, you know, into his run fit. So I would like to see more development from those guys. And I would like to see, you know, maybe, maybe a newcomer like that, Ateva Malga Clements, who's now, I believe in his third year in the program, who I know um, he, I believe he was at a junior college out in California when he was being recruited and LSU under Bill, when Bill Bush was there actually wanted to offer him, but they thought he was too small. And so, you know, he ended up, you know, coming our way, but I'll be curious to see how he fits in because anytime you can get a really athletic playmaker at the linebacker position, even if they're undersized tends to, tends to be a good thing to have. I mean, think about Levante David playing linebacker in the big 10 at 210 pounds. He had one of the best seasons, you know, at that position that I've seen in a while. What do you have? What? This almost sounds astronomical, so I don't even know if it's the right number, but I want to say he had like 149 tackles. In one season? In one season. It was a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at what he's done in the pros, so. And I love how the casual football fan, I mean, if you're from Nebraska and you're a casual NFL fan, yeah, you know who Levante David is. But by and large, the casual NFL fan, they have no idea who Levante David is. Why is that? Probably because Tampa was so bad before Tom Brady. Oh, well, that, well, that is true, you know. Yeah, that I mean, I'm true. sorry. You, you hired Dirk Cutter and Lovey Smith to be your head coach. You're, yeah, you're in for some problems. <laughs> Can't believe Lovey Smith is still a head coach in the NFL. Well, they just kind of recycle them and move them around. I mean, good work if you can get it. (laughs) As an NFL head coach? Yeah, yeah, I'd do it for 500K a year. Why? I don't know. It'd be fun. (laughs) God, I think I'd – I don't know, though. I guess, you know, know, that does bring up something else. Might as well ask you. Um, The difference between an NFL coach – and a, a college coach. I mean, college coaches have to recruit. NFL has to draft, but that's usually a small group of people. Uh, you know, there's a recruiting aspect, but now, now you have to deal with the money. How much yep. do you, do you think that actually changes? I mean, who, who's retired recently? I see. I'm showing my fatigue now because uh, my brain Bronco Mendenhall stepped away from Virginia Right, but there's two years after getting them to an Orange Bowl. But isn't there a number of guys that have retired? Or am I thinking of basketball? Might be thinking of basketball because, like, uh, basketball. What's his name? Villanova. Jay Wright. He retired. Right. Yeah. And another. I think of you know how many is this going to lead to? The hell am I going with this question? Like, to to your why we needed to do this one fast. To your point. You know, Kirby Smart said at SEC Media Days that he thought about retiring after Georgia won the national championship this past year. And just the the stress of it all. Um, Yeah. I I couldn't imagine. I mean, yeah, you're doing what you love for a living. You're being compensated to a point that the average Joe could only dream of. But at the same time, like, how stressful do those 80 to 100-hour work weeks get when that's your entire life? You can love something much as you want it's still as stressful yeah i can't imagine doing it yeah. i think being right. an NFL head coach would be the better route i remember what i wanted to ask you okay 
So you get these people that are like, no, Nebraska runs a 3-4. Oh, Nebraska runs a 4-3. The reality is, is in the first game, we're probably, I don't know, we're going to probably come out with three down linemen and one outside linebacker with the hand, with the guy with his hand down. So yeah. it'll look like a 4-3, but it's not really a 4-3. You get what I'm getting at? Oh, in other absolutely. words, it's, it's going to vary throughout the year. We might run that kind of defense against Northwestern, but against uh, and uh, obviously against the other teams we mentioned that run the ball well, Purdue we probably run. So that's where your four two five comes in, right? Because mm-hmm. so it's going to change throughout the year, right? But it's going to change throughout each game throughout the year. Yeah, it's kind of. I'm glad that you brought this up because I was actually thinking about this earlier, and I didn't think of it until, again until you reminded me of it. You know how in basketball, like in the NBA, they talk about how it's almost like positionless now, you know, right. there's no point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward center. Like, you know, you'll have LeBron James playing the point forward at six foot eight. You know, there's, there's no true point guard defenses in college football. And it's starting to trickle up into the NFL. They're almost positionless, meaning they're so hybrid to the point where guys just kind of, they, they match up to specific teams that you're playing, specific styles of offense. And it might look like we're aligning in a 4-3, like you were talking about. But at the last second, we might loop that outside linebacker inside and drop the defensive end in coverage. So we're really fitting more like we're a 3-4. So it's all about anchor points. So if you're playing a team – that's, you know, double tight ends, two backs in the backfield, 22 personnel. Yeah, it's going to look like a 4-3. But if you're playing like an 11 personnel spread offense with a slot receiver, a tight end, and a running back, you really don't know what you're getting until you really take a close look at it because we're you're doing so many different things based on alignment. Hey, that slot receiver, he's not big, but he's really fast. Hey, let's put a DB at the nickel spot instead of, you know, a big, you know, the Sam Jojo Doman outside linebacker. Right. And then we might play another team who's got a big slot receiver who almost resembles more of like a Travis Kelsey for the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, well, he's pretty big and he can run. Let's put a linebacker on him. It's, you know, a really athletic linebacker, Javen Wright, for instance, or an Isaac Gifford or Chris Kolarevic. Let's put him out there so – we can stop the run and cover this guy. So it, it's really turned into a positionless defense. And I think you started to see that last year from us as well, where there were times that, you know, we, we had guys like Garrett Nelson and Caleb Tanner lined up on the edge, their hand in the dirt, and they're taking on tight ends, offensive tackles, pulling guards. And then at other times we're playing Purdue or a team that really likes to throw the ball around and they're, splitting the difference between the slot receiver and the end man on the line of scrimmage, the offensive tackle. So it's all about matchups now. I, I think the way that defense used to be played was so like, this is what we do. This is what we're right. going to do. We're not going to deviate, deviate from it. But now you have to deviate from it or else if they, if Jeff Brom sees that you have a slow-ass linebacker lined up on a slot receiver, he's going to run mesh with a couple of shallow crossers 40 times and it's going to be death by a thousand cuts. And you're going to be watching guys like Rondale Moore, even though he's gone now. But just as an example, Rondale Moore getting a ton of yards after the catch because this linebacker can't keep up in coverage. I remember right. in Frost's first year watching Alex Davis try to chase down Rondale Moore on a crossing round. It was not pretty. No. Yeah. 
So who do you, who do you think are going to be our best players on defense this season? I think Ty Robinson. Okay. I think, I think that's a safe bet. I think Luke Reimers will build off of last year. And it'd be really easy for me just to go O'Shawn Mathis and, you know, based on his numbers at TCU, but I'm going to, I want to be a little bit, uh, think outside the box, uh, Caleb Tanner, because I really liked how well he was playing at the end of last year. So you didn't, you didn't name him any defensive backs. Well, I'm a a front line (laughs) guy here, John, Uh, but to to humor you, I'm going to go miles farmer, miles farmer and Quentin Newsom. Because Quentin Newsom, for a freshman last year, COVID freshman, he was he was playing some really good defensive back play. All right, do we do we need to go through anything else? This is a pretty plain Jane show. Yeah, I mean, this is like just straight and to the point. It wasn't yeah. a it wasn't an editorial opinion show like it is with uh, Greg and Todd. <laughs> well, I did, part of that is honestly, I'm fighting fatigue very. A, a lot. And Greg has tried to enter this about five times. He is going right, to be Greg. so pissed off at me. <laughs> but I, I honestly, we're going to be done, I think. Is that all right? Or do you yeah, have anything else? That's fine by me. I think we've about covered it. All right. We're not, we're not to our prediction stuff yet. No, we'll have to. Was that next week? I don't know. Two weeks? I think no, it's I did want to say one more thing. Yeah. And you don't live in state anymore, so you might not realize this, but you do follow the message boards. And I'm not talking badly about people who are just Nebraska fans, because here's the thing. There are people who are Nebraska fans only, and then there are people who are Nebraska fans, but they just love college football in general. You know, they, they, they're college football junkies. I'm one of those people that, yeah, watching Nebraska, I live and die by this team emotionally every Saturday. Also, after our game's over, I'm going to watch all the good games, all the good matchups, coordinators that I really like, offenses that I really like, stuff like that. Josh Pate's podcast. I know we probably shouldn't be giving another podcast. No, know, that's all right. Any that's free all rain, right. But Josh Pate, P-A-T-E, his late kick podcast. If you're like me, like you're a Nebraska fan, but you're also a college football junkie, You'll absolutely love it. He covers everything super in-depth. He knows what he's talking about. He's not like the talking heads on ESPN who they glance at the headlines and the sports page and then, you know, make the talk points. Like, you can tell this guy does his research. You can tell he loves the sport. And so I got into it last week because a friend recommended it to me. It is awesome. Okay. Well, I, you know, I think somebody else has mentioned him to me on YouTube that they like watching this stuff on YouTube. So is that a separate stuff or is that a, a pod? You know, what? like we put our podcast on YouTube. Does he do other videos? I think he does. I think he does Just other videos. Podcast. And then because I've access, I've watched some of his stuff on YouTube, but I've mostly accessed it through the uh, Apple podcast app when I'm lifting weights. And uh, it's it's some top notch stuff like. I'm surprised ESPN or Fox Sports hasn't hired this guy because he's good. Yeah, I, I, we're okay with recommending other people. I mean, yeah. uh, I know Tweety and uh, Pat, they were very anti, no uh, free shout outs to other podcasts. They were just angry people. Yeah, they were very angry. <laughs> Love them both dearly, but they were very angry. <laughs> 
Oh, they probably, you know, they've had a right to be. So we're getting closer to Nebraska football season. Yep. There's preseason football on tonight. For the I tried NFL. watching a little bit of Giants Patriots. It doesn't even, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like eating frozen Stouffer's lasagna when you could go to a nice Italian restaurant. Wow. Yeah. It's still football. I, I, I love football. preseason football just doesn't do it for me. I remember as a, like a teenager, I would try to get into preseason football. I'm like, no. Now, if there was college preseason football, I'd probably feel much different. <laughs> I'd probably be sitting here talking about how our third string quarterback, Logan Smothers, just doesn't have good pocket awareness, you know. Well, they give us all something more to bitch about. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, Husker Twitter, we need a game in the worst way because Husker Twitter is a <laughs> great place. It, it's full of angry people. It's like, uh, do, you, do you remember when Florida State had Jimbo Fisher and Jameis Winston the talking about the Knowles Twitter? Right. Oh my God, that place was terrifying. Yeah, every every little every little mistake anybody – I mean, Sam McCune got torn, yeah. torn apart for – mentioning Scott Frost instead of something else. I didn't even remember what it was. Mitch Sherman gets torn apart regularly. <laughs> and like, it's one of those cases where I'm like, the quote reads different than it sounds like, right. You got to consider the medium that you're getting this information through. Oh yeah. We do need a game. Yeah. All right. We're going to, I mean, we're going to go. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for joining me, Haas. You're welcome. Uh, John boy. And, uh, maybe next week we'll come up with, you know what? Maybe next week it'll be you and Greg. We'll see what happens. Since he's going to, he's going to want to, I imagine I'll get nasty messages from him. Although he hasn't texted me. So, you know, it must not be over complete rage. So, um, okay. That's it then. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, five heart podcast is five hearts is the only hearts you need. <laughs> Go big red and win win the last two damn weeks of the offseason.